Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. So here we go. We're going to turn to Joshua and we're going to the third chapter. How many know healthy things grow? I've been saying it a lot. Healthy things grow. I've been encouraging you to invite somebody. Um, and if you're a guest today, man, thank you so much for being here. We do have some guest cards out before. I would love it if you'd fill one out um, so that we can just call you tomorrow and say hi and thanks for coming. Um, if not, I'll stalk you on Facebook and do the same thing. Healthy things grow. And here's another thing you got to know. Alive things move. Healthy things grow. Alive things move. And I love it that some of you have heard this story. Dad has told it here before. Um, about the time he and my kid brother went out jogging one day. Um, he was like, what, five, six years old, little guy. And they're out running through the neighborhood. And as they're running through the neighborhood, they come upon... Um, a possum that had met its end with an altercation with a vehicle just everywhere, right? And they're running up on it, so they cross the other side of the street to get away from it. My dad says, hey, we need to get away from that dead possum, you know, so they cross over. And my little brother, just as matter-of-fact as he can be, goes, oh, no, Dad, I've heard about this. They do that. They play dead. Probably not like that. That's some defense mechanism right there. Um, alive things move, right? Healthy things are alive things move. And this is what I'm reminded of what James said. Um, he said, faith without works is dead. Can you imagine having a dog with no works? It's dead, and yet you're trying to walk this dead dog, just dragging it down the road. That's a creepy thing to think about. Faith without works is dead. If there's no action, it's dead. Faith without works is dead. I'm also reminded of Hebrews 4.12. This is what it says. It says, for the word of God is what? Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word knows you know than you better knows you better than you know yourself. It knows the intentions of your heart, which sometimes is hard, and it gets you and it convicts you and it brings you into new places. But the part that I love in here is it says that the word of God is living and active. It's alive and active. That word "active" uh, in the Greek it actually means at work. It means active, effective, productive of due results, it's at work, it has a cognate, which means full of energy. It actually is like there's motion associated with it. It's alive, so it's moving. Everyone say move. Say move. The word moves things. Right, that's what Jesus taught. You have faith, you can say, and it will move. Faith, the word, it moves things. And I was thinking about this, because I was like, God, okay, so I know your word doesn't return void, but I've seen so many people who hear your word 
and your word is alive, but it does nothing in them. And that's weird to me, because when I read it, it wrecks me, and it's not fair that it wrecks me and it doesn't wreck him. I wasn't pointing at you. It's the imaginary him over here. Um, it's not fair. And, and he was like, no, remember, it depends on the soil. Depends on what kind of soil you want to be. The word is going to move. It's going to do something. But what kind of soil are you? Are you good ground? Are you rocky ground? Are you thorny ground? Like, what are you? The word will try to grow in you no matter what. This morning, as I give this sermon, the word's going to try to take root and grow up inside of you. And whether it does anything in you today or not is completely up to you on what kind of ground you decide to be. So I am asking you, not because I think I know anything more than you, not that I think I'm better than you. I mean, Lord knows I feel more humbled at this point in my life than any other point in my life before. I am asking you in all humility to examine your heart and say, Lord, let me be good ground. Like, let this word be for me, right? Not for the person next to me. So I want to tell you a story today that comes out of Joshua, the third chapter. And I, let me give you some of you guys some background because some of you know this story. You've heard it a lot since you're little. Some of you don't because you haven't been in church that long or whatever. But let me tell you real quick. So um, I don't know. There's, there was a movie, Prince of Egypt. Anyone, anyone see that cartoon, Prince of Egypt? Half of us, some of us. Anyway, here's the story, all right? The Israelites, everyone say Israelites. They're over here in Egypt, and they're slaves. Say slaves. Doesn't sound good, does it? It's not good. They want to go. So God does a series of miracles, and they get out of Egypt. And as they come out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea, and they're stuck there, and there's an Egyptian army who's changed their mind about letting them go, coming up behind them. They want to get them back. We've made a mistake. All our slaves are gone. Let's go get them. So they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, a sea and an army, and they can't get out. And God does a miracle. What miracle does he do? He parts the Red Sea, and these slaves walk through the sea on dry ground. And as the army comes into the sea, it covers them up, kills them all. Yay, they're free. Great story, right? Where are they standing now? On the other side of the sea. Where are they? They're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. Now, is this where they're supposed to be? In the desert? In the wilderness? Absolutely not. There's actually another land, even further, it's called the promised land. Say promised land. And what God wants them to do is move, say move. He wants them to move from the desert and wilderness into the promised land. going to let it sink in for a second. So they send some spies in. You can read about it sometime in Numbers chapter 14. They send some spies in. The spies come back, and all but two of them are completely freaked out by what they saw in the promised land. There's giants. There's walls. There's, I mean, it's a bad place. But there's also milk and honey. Like, it's also got lots of good reese. Like, it's a good place. But there's a lot of obstacles over there, too. Milk and honey, that's great. Bulls and bees, that's rough. And so, because they freaked out and said, we're not going, they ended up staying 
in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years. That's a long time to live someplace. Today's story that we're going to read about in Joshua 3 is about the time they finally got out of that place, finally got out of the wilderness. How many want to live in a wilderness or in a desert? How many have ever been in your own life in a wilderness or in a desert? Like, obviously, I'm speaking metaphorically now, unless someone here has actually lived in an actual desert or wilderness. Um, like, in a place where you're like, it just feels dry, that feels like nothing's going on, and you're just like, what in the world am I doing? These guys ended up just wandering the desert for 40 years because they didn't want to go take what was already theirs. The only ones that are going to get to go are the two spies that were like, no, it's great, let's go. So let's go to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 3. And it begins like this. It says, And they commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. You shall be a distance between you and it, about 200 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, that was a lot of weird stuff that I just said. Because, first of all, what is an ark? Well, the ark was God's presence. That represented the presence of God. See, God wanted to come and be with his people. And we're, guys, when I say people in the wilderness, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people living in a desert. And God wanted to come and live among them. And they were like, God, you're kind of scary. And so he said, fine, I'll go live in this box. I'm not really in the box, right? That's kind of what he did. And they're getting ready to move into the promised land in this passage in Joshua chapter 3. The problem is there's a river in the way that's keeping them from going across. And this is what God's saying. He's saying, take my presence and walk into the river what he's telling them just go i don't want everybody else to watch where it goes and follow it everyone say move now i had a problem with this when i started preparing the sermon everyone say move because last week i preached on weight right it feels like the opposite one year at church camp the theme was um uh, make war Never surrender, and the next year it was surrender. Um, I don't know. So I was like, God, I have a problem. I'm preaching on move when last week I preached on weight. But, but here's what happened. God said, like 2,000 cubits, let me go a ways out in front of you so that you know where you're going. And don't move until you see me move. Like, okay, so we went to Yellowstone last summer. And there's lots of trails and things like that. And what I learned is that, like, as I'm walking those trails and we had all these kids running around everything, like, what do kids like to do? They like to go and run ahead. And they don't always know where they're going. And so what you learn to do is you learn to start moving fast, right? Sometimes you've got to walk quick, right? You've got to get where you're going. Because these kids, they want to, they think they know, where, they think they know what's up. And they get distracted by things on the way. So you've got to stay ahead of them. 
But this is what God is saying in this passage. He's like, look, there is a time to wait. The reason last week God said wait is because you need to wait and see where he actually wants to take you. And don't move till you see him moving or you're going to get ahead of where he is. And what's going to happen? You're going to end up down some trail. I remember we went to Grand Canyon a few years back. And my little daughter, Michaela, man, she's the one. You, you guys have the one you have to keep the eye on? She's the one. Um, we're at the Grand Canyon, the part with no railings, and she's gone. And we finally find her. She's behind us, 10 foot up in a tree. And I'm like, don't move unless you see me move. Wait, be patient. Be patient. Uh, I think, can I, let me dissect that for a moment. And we as people, the reason sometimes we want to get ahead of where God is is because we're looking for relief. Like, like God, where I'm at in this wilderness, it's hard. And if I'll just get to the next thing, there'll be relief. And God's not trying to give you relief. He's trying to give you revelation. To endure that suffering like we talked about last week in that moment so you can figure out who, what God had to do in that wilderness was completely get rid of the people who had a slavery mindset. He's trying to change something in you and get rid of a mindset in you so you can move on to the next thing. And so that whole generation of slaves in Egypt die and their kids grow up and they're fed up with living in the wilderness and they want what God has promised them. And still God says, okay, we're going, but just wait. Even that night, he tells them in verse 5 to consecrate themselves. That word consecrate is to set yourself apart, to make holy, right? And, and that's, that's us. We need to set ourselves apart. Uh, last week we talked about it in that passage. We said establish yourself. What do you do in the season of waiting? You establish yourself. You consecrate yourself. And so now here they are. And so this is what the next part of the passage says. It says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan River with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, it says how the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the harvest. It says that the waters piled up. Like as soon as the priests walk into the water, the water stops. You know what caught me when I read this? They've already been waiting for 40 years to go into the promised land. But it says at this season, the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Like it was flooded. Why didn't they go a couple months earlier? Why didn't they wait a couple more months? They've been there for 40 years. Why not wait just a little bit longer? Why does God wait until the stinking thing's flooded? Okay, now we're going to cross. So now they're not waiting. They're going to move, and they're moving at the worst time possible. God, I could have, listen, you had an opportunity earlier. We could have just easily waited through it. And I, I, I mean, I looked this up this week when I was like, I looked at pictures of the Jordan River. I was like, I think, I think I could wade through parts of that. Not when it's flooded, though. When it's at flood stage, everyone and everything's getting carried off. It reminds me of this, the, the passage I read at the beginning of the sermon. 
when when uh, the service, not the sermon, it wasn't part of my sermon. Jesus and Matthew was it Matthew fourteen? When they get in the boat to go across the sea and the storm comes, you know what it says at the beginning of that? It says this in Matthew fourteen twenty two. It says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. I don't think you guys caught that. They're getting in a boat, and they're about to go into a storm. Storm isn't there yet. As they're going, the storm comes. You can't tell me Jesus didn't know that storm was going to come. And it says, Jesus made them get into the boat. Oh, Jesus is telling us to get in a boat. This is going to be great. Kind of like Paul in Acts chapter 16. He's like, God, I want to go to Asia. He's like, no, go to Macedonia. Okay, it's going to be fine. He ends up in prison. Get into the boat. Jesus said get in the boat. It's going to be awesome. You end up in a storm. Like, God's going to tell you to do things sometimes when it's not convenient for you or look like what you think it should look like. It isn't going to be easy. Nothing about anything is easy. In that story where we just read about the storm coming and Jesus comes walking on the water and Peter gets out and walks and there's this amazing thing going on and then he sinks and Jesus, and they get in the boat and how did it end up? It ended up with them worshiping Jesus. The purpose isn't for you to have it easy. The purpose is for God to be glorified. Like whatever you're going through, the purpose is for God to be glorified. I'm reminded of a verse that says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. It's, the, it's God's job to order your steps. It's your job to step. Everyone say move. Move. We move. And what I, what I think is so... Um, like the thing about wanting to fast forward into the promised land, like... Oh, how do I say this? Um, how many like victories? How many like victories? How many know whatever the thing is that you're walking through, there's victories waiting on the other side? There's victory. Do you guys like victories? Yeah, you know the only way you can have a victory is by having a battle. We all like victories, but none of us like battles. And so you know what's waiting for them on the other side? of the Jordan in the promised land is battle after battle after battle after battle. And they're going to win a lot of them. They're going to lose a few of them. But through it all, God's going to glorify himself. Like that's the point. The point isn't so you can say, you know, I've won a lot of battles. No, the point is for you to say, God has been glorified through me. And so here it says in verse 14, it says, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up a heap very far away at Adam. The city that's beside Zarethan. And those following down toward the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. All Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. 
I think, like, going where God's going and realizing that he piled up the waters way down. If you look it up, it was miles away. So what does that mean? Like, here's, think about this. This is, I'm not, this is not good public speaking right now, but I'm just kind of amazed. Um, they step into the water. It stops. But it said, right when they step in, it stops. But it says it actually stopped like miles up river. Meaning it would have like they stepped, it would have had to stop like hours, if not days earlier. Meaning whatever it is you're walking through and you're waiting for God, God's waiting for you to move, but he's already got the things in motion. Like if it was stopped miles up river, that means it stopped flowing for them right when they stepped in but it actually already stopped hours and hours and hours, if not days earlier. What in the world? And we want to operate on what we see and what we think, and will someone go check up river first and see if it stopped yet or not? No, he's saying just step in. And, and man, guys, like the, the wilderness is such a bad place to be in. There is nothing there for you. It, oh, that's not true. They had stuff. But do you realize every... Every miracle that happens in the desert is all about survival. Like they had manna. Like, like there was this bread stuff. They'd wake up in the morning, there was this bread stuff on the ground because it's the wilderness. There's nothing there to eat and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And so they wake up every morning. It's a miracle that they're eating every day. But every miracle in the wilderness is all about survival. And some of you, that's all you're, you're content with survival. And you don't want to let go of the thing that helps you feel like you're surviving. And for every single one of it's something different. Some of us, it's an addiction. It's a relationship. It's pornography. It's, I mean, what is it? What is the thing that you hang on to to make you feel better? To survive. And God has way more for you than just surviving what you're going through. And I'm not saying that. I'm not standing up here like condemning you because, I mean, I've been in that place where I'm just trying to survive and I'm grabbing onto whatever I can just to make it feel better. And God is trying to free you from that. Will it be scary to let that go? Absolutely. I mean, think about these guys. They were more interested in going back to Egypt and being slaves than progressing into the promised land and so they ended up just staying put and surviving. And I, what is God asking you to let go of? Something that would be really hard Something that would be really hard. Something you've been hanging on to. This is the part of the sermon. I wish I could sit down with each one of you one by one. And, okay, what's going on with you, right? What's the thing? What's the thing? Some of you, it's like, it seems like a godly thing. It's like the manna. It's a miracle. God keeps providing things for me. It's a godly thing. It's not what God intended for you. He's just trying to help you survive. Some of you, it's not a godly thing. It's a completely ungodly thing, and you know it, and you've been convicted about it. You won't let go of it. Some of you, all your friends know about it. Some of you, nobody knows about it. And God is asking, and, and I'm humbly asking you this morning, to surrender it to him and let go of it and walk into where God wants you this morning. I'm not saying everything from here on out is going to be easy. I am saying there's going to be life and promise on the other side.
And so they step into the water and God, he does a miracle. He had actually already done the miracle way before they thought. I wrote in my notes, sometimes we say it's not possible, but promise outweighs possibilities. And what, what we find out when we read 1 Corinthians is one of their biggest problems, and it, I already preached on this just a second ago, is, was idolatry in the wilderness. They made idols, and that's, I guess that would be like whatever that thing is you won't let go of. That's the idol. And you can go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The thing in the wilderness is they wouldn't let go of the idols. And God's asking them to surrender that and move in. And it's funny is when Jesus shows up, and man, Jesus just always wrecking people. Um, Jesus shows up on the scene, and he does the miracle that we just talked about earlier of, of he feeds the 5,000 with the bread, right? And it was just kind of awesome. So he feeds the 5,000 with the bread and everything, and then everybody's like, well, what else are you going to do, Jesus? Like, show us something else pretty cool. And he's like, you don't really need more miracles, paraphrasing here. Um, and they said, yeah, but, you know, Moses gave us manna, right? Manna in the desert. And I'm sure Jesus was just like, are you kidding me? Like, survival, is that what we're going to? Like, Sometimes we get on our knees, we beg God to meet our needs just so we can survive. That's what you're going to go to. And Jesus is like, no, listen, there's a bread that I can give you that will give you more life than anything you've ever had before. The thing that you think you need to survive, like there is something greater and it's in Jesus. And that, that applies to us today. Whatever the thing is, like there's something greater. You don't need another meal. You don't need another fix you don't need another hit. You don't need another view. You, what you need is Jesus. And so we lean into him. And this is what he says. I love this in John chapter 6, in the middle of this conversation about manna. They said to him, what must we then do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, the work, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Here's the work. Believe him. Believe Jesus. That's the movement he wants. The movement he wants is for you to believe him. How do I know what he says? So I get, like, if you're doing this, if you're moving in this, you believe him, right? That's the movement Jesus is asking for. Say move. And worship team, can you come? I'm going to try to get done. It might be fake. I'm just warning everybody. It tells us that the priest stood on dry ground. And then, I won't read it all, but what happens is he tells the leaders of the people of Israel to take stones from the middle of what God did, of that dry riverbed, and to stack them up as a monument of what God did during that time. Like, it's important to remember what God has done for you. It's important to remember the way he's moved in your life. It's important to have testimonies of, you know, there was a time I was stuck in the wilderness and everything was flooded and it was impossible to get through and God dried up the river and let me through to where I was supposed to be. 
to make that testimony and make that monument. I want to read you guys something out of Matthew. Because it's like, it's all good, like, So kind of like the whole point of this today is saying you don't have to stay stuck where you've been. Like you don't have to live in that wilderness. But to get to a new place, you have to move. Even if it seems impossible. And it's easy for me to get up here and say, hey, everybody, move, you know? Um, And I have no clue what's going on in your life. But what I love so much about this word is that, like, we don't have a God who doesn't, like, sympathize with our weakness. Like, he knows what we walk through. Like, that's the whole reason God became a man was to show us that this thing can be done. And that he walked through the same struggles that we walk through every day. And so in Matthew chapter 26, this is Jesus. And he's already told his disciples several times, like, hey, I'm going to die and raise from the dead. Like, he's told them. And they go to Jerusalem because he knows that's the place he's going to die. Can you imagine, like, like, they always did those would you rathers and like would you like to know the time and place you're going to die I would not because then you know you're moving towards that and here's Jesus he knows he knows he's moving towards that and it says this it says then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I go over there and pray And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Like, he's God and he's sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. It's like, here's the God of the universe in human form and he just wants his closest guys close to him. Like he just doesn't want to be by himself. He wants them to see this thing and to be close to him in this thing. Like he knows he's about to have to walk through something really hard. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Like, God, I don't know if this is going to be easy. But he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh 
is weak. And I, like, some of us have read this passage so many times. Just, so again, he goes for a second time. He went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, so heavy. So leaving them, again, he went and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. And then he said to his disciples, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hours at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us be going. Betrayer is at hand. And that's when Judas shows up with his gang to arrest Jesus and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Like Jesus knew it was coming. He knew he was going to have to walk through something hard. And yet he did it. He was obedient to it. Like, if he wasn't God in the flesh, I'm telling you, if that was me, and I'm not God in the flesh, and I knew my sins weren't going to pay for the world, I'll tell you what I've done in that situation. I would have ran and hid. Right? Self-preservation is about to get bad. I am not dying by a crucifixion. I would have ran and hid. Just find some place and stay there so no one finds me. You can't have victories without battles. And like I was thinking about my, my team yesterday. Man, they ran so hard. It was so hot. Some of them ran really well and some of them struggled a bit. But you know what, Malachi? You know how a good way to never lose a race is? Just to never run one. Like a good way to never fail is just to never do anything. Just to sit and hide. Some of you, that's what you're doing. That's, that's why you're in the wilderness. You're sitting and hiding because you're afraid of what lies on the other side. And God is saying, move. God is telling you to move. And what's weird is there's this, there's this practical side of life, and it will always exist. And that practical side of life is, is the consequences of our actions. It's the decisions we have to make, the hard choices. But then over here is the reality of the Word of God. It's the main thing we have to look at and the Word of God is telling us to move. Rock climbers, they have this point in a climb where sometimes the rock comes out and over. They call it the crux. That word literally, that, that, that word literally comes from the word cross. The cross, the hardest part of the climb. To get to the top, they have to go through this hard, the cross, the hardest part of the climb. To get to where you need to go, you have to go through the cross. And Jesus knew to set us free he had to go through the cross and he's our example to move through the hard times and step out in faith and say i don't know what this looks like
but I'm going to do it anyway because God is calling me to move. Can I tell you a few things God is calling us to move from? In Psalms 30, he tells us to move from mourning to dancing. And I want to say, there is a season you'll mourn. That happens. But you're not supposed to live there. You're supposed to move from mourning to dancing. You know what dancing is? Movement. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, he says we move from dread to confidence in God. In John 16, we move from sorrow to joy. In Psalm 56, we move from fear to faith. In Isaiah 54, we move from shame to grace. In Romans 8, 28, we move from defeat to victory. In 1 Peter 2, 9, we move from darkness to light. In John 5, 25, we move from death to life. We move. We don't stay. So how do I move? We already said it. We believe his word. And here's the thing about Jesus. He moves through the cross, on the cross, taking all of our sin and all of our shame. None of us were good enough to go to heaven. Not one of us. We were all messed up. We were all sinners. And Jesus does this thing on the cross. The only perfect man who had ever lived he trades our sin for his righteousness. And on that cross, our sin gets punished. The stuff that we sat there in the wilderness and just gobbled up and thought made us better, he takes it on himself and says, this is not what you need anymore. Die to it. And then he gives us his righteousness. And in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was, was like lightning, and his clothes was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he has said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. By the way, his disciples had done a lot of bad stuff in the interim from his death till now. In three days, they had gotten in a lot of trouble. He said, go tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Which is, sounds about right. And they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and sang greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Say move. Today it's time to move. Will you close your eyes for just a moment and let me ask you a question. What's the thing that's keeping you in the wilderness? What are you hanging on to? Remember, I'm talking to you today. I'm talking to you. What are you hanging on to? What are you scared to let go of? 
But it, this thing makes me feel better. This thing, I think it gives me peace. I don't know how I would live any differently. It's been the, my way of life for so long. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's something new that you've just recently stumbled into. You're like, man, this is good. I'm telling you it's the wilderness and he wants you to move you. Jesus came to set us free from the wilderness. He came to set us free. But you're going to have to walk forward. You're going to have to move. How? so simple. Just trust Jesus. It's so simple. Just trust Jesus. Just move. The night my dad decided to trust Jesus, he said two words, yes, Lord, and that was it. And he trusted Jesus. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complicated. Trust him. Follow him. That's his call. Father God, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus, the name above every other name. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, I pray your Holy Spirit begin to draw hearts right now. Lord, there's so many of us who are hanging on to so many things, intent to live in the desert and the wilderness. But God, you've come to give us life and life more abundantly. So God, whether we've been a Christian for years or Lord Jesus, that we've been, we're away from you this morning, I pray that you would tug on our hearts to let go of the wilderness and to move forward into your promise. To have confidence, God, that you're with us to leave the darkness and come into light. Some of you are wrestling. Come on, let go. Trust Jesus this morning. You don't need me to lead you in a prayer. You don't need me to say another word. You just need to make a decision that you're going to trust Jesus no matter the cost. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.